All right. Uh, let's take a break and uh, hear from our sponsors then. Like Teeny Tiny Turkey, have you alienated everyone in your life? I think have Thanksgiving for one with a teeny tiny turkey. We swear it's not a pigeon. And cash for organs. You don't need all those organs. Plus Volkswagen. You know why. And when we come back, part two of my interview with the self-proclaimed vape god, a real person I had on my show. Yo, what up? Ready to talk politics and rip some fat vape clouds. And you're not trolling me, right? You're a real expert on e-cig laws? Oh, for sure. I got that swag. I got that drip drip. Uh-huh. And our producers have, have fully vetted you because we bumped Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas to speak with you. Then you made the right choice, because my puff-puff game, dilly-dilly. Wow. <laughs> Finally, a millennial who's speaking my language. Much more with that gentleman when we return. I'll have my dong out. Yeah, I can't wait. And live from New York, it's Saturday night! <laughs> Welcome to the Saturday Night Live After Party. This week we'll be discussing Season 44, Episode 6 of SNL with host Steve Carell and musical guest Ella May. I'm John Murray and with me as always is comedy aficionado and all-around swell dude, Steve Finn. If you'd like to connect with either of us, you can do so at snlafterparty.fm. And if you're enjoying our show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whichever app you prefer to listen on. Your subscription helps us grow and your support is greatly appreciated. All right, enjoy. So SNL will be taking a one-week hiatus to return December 1st with first-time host Claire Foy and musical guest Anderson Pock. I can't say I know uh, too much about Claire Foy. I might send my mother uh, to do the cast <laughs> with you. Sure. Because she's a big fan of The Crown. Right. I understand that's what she's best known for, playing the queen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't had the pleasure. Haven't gotten to that show yet, but I hear great things. And uh, not the biggest hip-hop guy either, so... Um, not much I can say on the topic of Anderson Pock, but I'll be all ears. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh, don't have a lot to say about Anderson Pock either. We've had a pretty hip hop heavy uh, opening half of the season so far. Yeah, that's true. I'm not sure if that's intentional or if that's just kind of what's going on in music these days. We're a little bit older, maybe a little out of touch with what the kids are listening to, but uh, apparently there's a lot going on in that scene. So we're getting a lot of new breakout artists. Uh, I sat down and watched a couple interviews with him and just absorbed a little bit about what he's about. Uh, I would say he comes off as more of an artist than just a a hip hop performer per se. It it does seem like he takes his craft seriously. He seems like a pretty astute, well-spoken guy. So uh, this is my, you know, glancing impression of Anderson Pock, but we will find out in a couple weeks what, uh, what he's got to offer. As far as Claire Foy, my wife's been trying to get me into the crown. I've seen a few episodes. She does a good job, obviously, but uh, even though that might be the thing that people would immediately recognize her from, she's been doing a lot of feature films that are of note, you know, Oscar worthy type stuff. Uh, most recently, I think she was in the Neil Armstrong biopic. Okay. Yeah. I guess we'll, uh, we'll leave it at that and we'll see what these guys have to bring because there really isn't any history with the show that we could look back to, to suggest how they might perform. But you know what? Come to think of it, past performance on the show isn't necessarily an indicator of future performance. So with that said, why don't we take a look at Steve Carell's outing of SNL? You ready to go? Let's go for it. Cool. 
cold open on Fox News, the Ingram angle, Laura runs through her latest feel facts and welcomes on Mark Zuckerberg and diverse Congresswoman Marsha Fudge. I can't score him many points for uh, taking a fresh angle. Yeah. Uh, We have seen Laura Ingram very recently Mm -hmm. uh, as a cold open. And aside from that, I thought that, you know, Leslie breathed some new life into it. I always enjoy uh, Alex's Mark Zuckerberg. Mm-hmm. So there was a couple of things I had fun with. You know, the feel facts was a really great <laughs> bit too. Yeah. So aside from the monotony of it all, I think there was some stuff working for it. Let's go 50-50 on the cold open. All right. So you're kind of take it or leave it or just like a, a mild win? Like what's your bottom line on it? Let's give it a so-so. Okay. So-so. I think I, I can probably get behind a so-so. Wasn't super excited to see it, kind of like you. Uh, this is not fresh. This is feeling a little bit like hardball from back in the day where it seemed like every other cold open was the, the same basic setup without a whole lot of originality. So that wasn't immediately saying great things. They did find a few jokes. I felt like the feel facts had a, a shade of Colbert in it. Uh, felt a little bit like what uh, the Colbert Report may have been doing with you know some sort of truthiness rundown that they would often do on that show. Um, so even that just kind of made me think, huh? You know what? We're not uh, we're not really generating anything super original or exciting. Uh, a lot of this just kind of left me wanting. Not a big fan of Alex's Mark Zuckerberg either, which uh, is one of the rare things that he does that I'm not super on board with. Just because it, it feels a lot more like a Michael Sarah impression repurposed. <laughs> uh, Michael Sarah meets a robot. Which just, I don't know. I don't feel like that's a, a terribly clever take on Mark Zuckerberg. So yeah, I don't know. This this was not speaking to me. Um, serviceable, not bad, not really fumbly. Like everyone did what they were supposed to do. It just didn't feel very inspired. So for me, yeah, definitely middle of the road. Okay. Let's see where we go from there. All right. So moving on to the monologue. Steve Carell doesn't want to reboot The Office. We get our first on-screen appearance from newbie writer Allison Gates, as well as some cameos from Ellie Kemper, Ed Helms, Jenna Fisher, and Steve's wife, Nancy Walls, and his kids. I always do enjoy the questions from the audience. I love the way that they just kind of script it as if it's, you know, something not planned. Mm -hmm. And Steve Carell standing up there saying, oh, I guess we're doing questions, all right? And just rolls with it. I like that energy. But still has to confirm with Keenan whether he's playing a fake audience member or not. I, yes, I enjoyed the reflexivity of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, uh, aside from the little office reunion, which was fun, it was also nice to see Nancy Walls, uh, cast member for back in 95, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, season 21. Right. Top to bottom, I thought this was very fun and enjoyable. <laughs> okay. All right. Right out of the gate, you've got me wondering if maybe I just wasn't in a great mood because... Uh, this kind of thudded for me too. Uh, maybe it's just cause the cold open really didn't grab me, but I felt like this was eh, a little, little meh, um, not terribly inspired. I feel like it's kind of easy to do the whole, everyone wants an office reunion. So let's just pull in some cameos and make the obvious jokes. Steve Carell can do some really fun performance. And I'm just not sure why they didn't shoot a little higher with this. Like, why did they go back to this? Well, when there's gotta be something else he could have brought to the table. And I know that that's easier said than done, right? Like they're writing a lot of this stuff last minute. You can only do so much with the monologues week over week, but he's a real solid performer that you would think would be built for SNL. So why not shoot a little higher with him? That was my feeling. I think it shows more in his sketch work. 
So why don't we get forward to that? <laughs> sure. You're getting really comfortable with, uh, yeah, pushing us out of our segments here. Um, but you know what? I'll go with it. Cause I really don't have anything else to offer other than, yeah, at this point, I'm still kind of lukewarm on the show, but our first live sketch might just turn that around. An imbecilic dad can't grasp his children's devastating revelations. Uh, a lot of good, silly fun. You find yourself questioning how this guy, you know, lived as long as he did. He's just too stupid to function. Sure. You know, they play that up really well. The children pretty much talking behind his back in front of him. Mm-hmm. Really just love the cluelessness of it. And this is where Steve Carell is starting to shine. This reminded me of, you know, Anchorman Steve Carell. Sure. The the real, like, nobody does dumb better than Steve. <laughs> sure. Yeah. He's one of my favorite on-screen morons, and this is a great vehicle for that. Sure. Uh, I definitely can't fault Steve Carell's performance in this. Uh, he he took the material, and he definitely worked through it more than competently. Yeah. But again, I think I'm going to be our Debbie Downer of the night and say that this felt like two sketches kind of mishmashed together in a weird way that uh, I didn't feel really worked a hundred percent. I felt like it started out pretty clearly as a, this dad is the last guy to know, right? Like everybody else is in on all of these devastating things and he's just totally in the dark. And it's going to be the fun of watching the consternation of him having to come to terms with this. And the escalation builds as each new revelation is more devastating than the last. Like that's what it looked like this sketch was going to be out of the gate. But then about halfway through, it seemed like maybe they didn't know where they wanted to go with that. And so they start weaving in the imbecilic angle and the kids are like, Oh, seriously, dad, like you really can't figure this out. And it just felt like that was a pretty sharp character turn that it it just didn't feel like that was what they were trying to establish from the get go. Yeah. So because of that, I just kind of felt like, okay, is this sketch just meandering and just doesn't know where it wants to go? And it's just kind of throwing stuff at the wall now, or was this what they really intended? And for me, it just kind of was muddy. Like I just didn't see it coming. I don't know, Yeah. but it, it was amusing and it had some fun moments in it, but overall, I just don't feel like the actual progression of the sketch made a whole lot of sense. I get what you're saying though. Cause that premise, the way that they set it up can make you think, the way it plays out is that he's just going to be oblivious of that one fact. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, maybe, maybe they did take a turn. They ran out of steam and decided to widen the gates a bit. <laughs> sure. Maybe that's what made it feel a bit awkward for you. Uh, I, I think that's pretty much what it was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Amusing, but I was surprised that this made it to the top of the rundown. Cause there was some other stuff that I felt like really would have kicked the show off a little bit better. So why don't we talk about some of that kind of stuff moving right along? We get our first pre-tape. A sick burn from Amazon CEO, Jeff Bezos. It was a sick burn. (laughs) Yes, it was. Now, Jeff would have you believe that it was not an intentional (laughs) thing at all. And I love that. Uh, I think uh, we've all seen, you know, the best way to get under Trump's skin is to be a troll like this (laughs) with 100% transparency. Uh, Yeah. Aside from that whole premise, which was working for me, Steve Carell really sold it with his dry delivery. <laughs> yeah. He has a little moment where he kind of winks at the camera with the the four chapter 11s in Trump's book, uh, like a little moment where it's like, yes, I'm winking at you. Understand that this is all absolutely intentional and we can all have fun at Trump's dismay. Uh, he played it well. Yeah. He, he definitely walked that line well. And uh, I'm thinking of giving my MVP to the... Uh, to the bald caps of the night. Sure. This was a great example of, of good makeup. Yeah. Louis Zakarian said that they may have beat their all time record on getting a bald cap on Mikey day. I think 
Yeah, because he was in a lot of stuff, so there was a, a fair bit of wig work for him. But anyways, the makeup crew seemed to think that they were really doing some solid work this week. And I would agree. They had a lot of, you know, between aliens and just deep costuming. There was a lot of stuff going on this week yeah. that I think we can applaud. Um, let's move on. We get a live sketch at Thanksgiving dinner. A group of would be friends try to recall that one famous Thanksgiving song. I have loved this sketch in its uh, previous <laughs> sure. manifestations. Yeah. That was one of my favorite sketches from the Chris Pine episode. Mm-hmm. All the stuff that made me love it that time is still here. They even worked in a blood pack for you. <laughs> they even worked in a blood pack. Uh, just loved it. And I especially love how serious and deadpan they belted out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just so wacky and fun. I, I enjoyed this and it's a win. Yes. Uh, I did enjoy this as well. I can call this squarely a win. They revealed the stupidity of the sketch in a very satisfying way, right? Yes. You know, they all seem like very well-balanced, normal members of society. And then one by one, they all slowly get roped into this bizarre, (laughs) bizarre song. And, you know, the other little bits of flavor that they throw in where they reveal different character traits that are a little off about these people. And yes, by the end, we're not even sure that one of them exists or, you know, maybe they were just some sort of imposter or maybe just, uh, the, the ghost of Thanksgiving past come to, uh, infuse some, some magical melody into the scene. We don't really know what Cecily's character turned out to be by the end of it, but nonetheless, it had me scratching my head in a very satisfying way. I, I enjoyed the ride here. Yeah. A satisfying head scratcher. (laughs) Great way to cap that. Great. There's our hot take. Let's keep moving. After that, we get a pre-tape, a music video for Goonie Tunes' latest single, RBG, or Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Of course. An ode to the longest standing Supreme Court justice. Not surprising to see them pay tribute to her after her recent injury and a very speedy turnaround and return to work. Mm -hmm. This might have been lacking in content and uh (laughs) didn't have quite enough inspiration to make uh make this as funny or as enjoyable as it could be yes it seems like this was a great way to run at a rap music video you've already got kate's impression which is i think one of the best things that she does on the show right now Mm -hmm. so there's some instant humor and spectacle that you can get just from getting her in the mix. Right. And then you've got Chris Redd and Pete Davidson who have been collaborating on a lot of these hip hop pre-tapes and most of them work pretty well. They're pretty smart. They are able to work a lot into the lyrics and usually, you know, more or less we've had a a pretty good batting average for these so far this season. Um, But it seems like they kind of know that they've struck gold with their rap stuff. And uh, maybe now they're just looking for more vehicles and, Unfortunately, not everyone is going to be friendos or not everyone's going to be trees. So, um, yeah, this, this didn't quite get there. It had its moments, but overall, maybe the most lackluster rap music video of the season so far, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. They went in a similar direction as comeback Barack, Mm -hmm. uh, that reveal in the end that they actually really don't know much about the work that (laughs) she does. Yeah. We'll jump on the bandwagon, even if we can't name one, uh, decision that she's made. Sure. Uh, yeah. So amusing, almost passable, but compared to the best that we've seen this season for the rap videos, this one doesn't really hold up as well. So eh. we do have a lot to compare it to. Yeah. And I think that's probably what really holds it back. It's not that it wasn't good in its own way. It's just, it didn't 
get to the same heights as the others. So by comparison, it seems so much worse. Um, so yeah, I'm just going to call it middle of the road, not a win, not a loss to try and be objective about it. Okay. You say middle of the road. I think it's a little bit in the wrong lane. <laughs> okay. All right. That, that's fine. But I'm not, whatever. I'm not trying to twist your arm on this one. It, it definitely didn't quite get there. So that's all good. If it's not a win, it's not a win. Yeah. All right. Let's take a look at our next live sketch and see if that one's a win. Sure thing. Excellent. Captain Ed McGovern broadcast live from the International Space Station to over 5,000 K through 8 science classrooms across the USA. I always have fun watching cast members try and recreate the effects of weightlessness, you know, zero gravity or floating in water. Obviously, yeah. they're not going to be in those elements on, <laughs> right. on camera, but, you know, the way that they kind of move their bodies, uh, it's always interesting to see how they pull that off. Right. But aside from all that, I thought this was a pretty funny sketch. It's really funny to, to see them desperately trying to do damage control um, <laughs> because obviously for what morbid events are taking place, like they have the worst uh, demographic of an audience right. to, to witness that. Right. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's just really fun kind of squirm in your seat, cringe humor. Mm hmm. And uh, obviously, Steve Carell was born into it yes. with stuff like The Office. So what better host to do these kinds of sketches with? Yep. Yep. I was on board with this one. I want to give special props to how well they milked the reveal of the floating frozen animals. Yeah. Because what they did was really, really clever. And so whoever, I, I know it was a Mikey Streeter outing, but whoever it was that decided to stage it this way, I want to give them props. They had it where Steve Carell is in the middle of answering a question and decides to turn away from camera so that he can describe, you know, something off on the other side of the ship or whatever, so that you see the student, you get their horrified reaction as the cat floats into frame, but Steve is unaware. Right. So all of a sudden, what you do is you place the audience ahead of Steve. And so you give them the added joy of having, you know, 10, 15 seconds there of knowing what's going on, knowing the horror that's about to unravel before Steve does. And so then when it hits Steve and he realizes, you know, as he picks up the monkey and breaks off its arm and everything comes crashing down on him, we're already there and we are ready for the laugh and it lands so well. And that is just great execution of sketch comedy. So yeah. I got to applaud it. And that's not even mentioning the foreshadowing leading up to that. <laughs> yes. Really loved Mikey Day's evasiveness of answering yep. the questioning. <laughs> right. And really appreciating Leslie pulling him away from that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was more than eager to be like, yep, yeah, let's go deal with that. Yeah. All that was great. Speaking of Leslie, mm -hmm. she was actually a big part of what I was enjoying with this. Mm -hmm. She was basically just there as an audience surrogate. Sure. To comment yes and <laughs> some people say funny things and other people say things funny yeah leslie does both yep she can sell a look like what the hell is going on <laughs> yeah, yeah that cat has no damn face like i could say that all day no one's gonna laugh at me leslie says it you're on the floor <laughs> this is a bad day for space yeah no and that <laughs> and you know what for everyone who is quick to harp on leslie's lack of sketchability she's not there because of her sketchability she's there really because of the character and presentation that you develop as a stand-up 
where you really can sell a line like that. And you can just use your face and just put everything that you've got into making the audience react to something. And when she gets a moment to showcase it, you realize, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Leslie does have something to offer when used correctly. And this was a great use of Leslie. Yeah. Yeah. So really high marks for this. Everything from the claw to Kate's floating to Mikey Day's floating. He's really, really good at selling that as well. So a lot of, a lot of performance and a lot of just really tight staging and blocking that all had to be really on point for this to stay as tight and well realized as it was. So uh, I got nothing bad to say about it. This was the one that was giving me my first belly laughs of the night. And so there you go. I got to applaud it. Applaud. Beautiful. Moving on, let's take a look at our musical performances. LMA performs Boot Up and Trip. So we didn't know a whole lot about LMA coming into this, but now we have seen her perform. Yeah. And what are we thinking? I thought she was great. You know, she is definitely a uh, an accomplished singer. She's got stage presence. Um, I found myself paying more attention to the band uh, <laughs> than LMA. Sure. You know, that drummer had some real good chops. and. Uh, yeah, the whole funk to the to the music was really uh it really uh kept my interest and, sure. and as much as I don't keep this kind of music on my radar, uh was enjoyable for uh for watching it in the moment and that's all I asked for. Okay. I got absolutely nothing bad to say about LMA or her backing band for that matter. It was just, you know, pretty middle of the road, accessible, radio friendly R and B fair. And so un- unfortunately I just I, I can't say that it roused me or really did anything for me. But it's it's not supposed to. <laughs> Middle aged white guy, not the target audience. I can accept that. I'm okay with that. It just yeah, it didn't move me. <laughs> what John Murray's not a fan? We failed. <laughs> Nobody involved with up, her saying it up. Yeah. <laughs> Shut it down. No one's saying that at all. <laughs> and rightfully so. I can certainly accept that this was not a performance that had me in mind or could care less what I think about it. And uh so I think it's probably best that we just jump into weekend update. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. All right. Weekend update for their lead-in, Jost and Che discuss New York's backlash to Amazon's new headquarters. What do we think about this week's opening salvo? I thought it was pretty good. Okay. And uh, they had some real stuff to say through the jokes. I think they uh, provide some perspective on some people's attitudes on the whole uh, opening of these new headquarters in Amazon. But uh, you can't blame them, right? The rent is too damn high in <laughs> Manhattan. Sure. But as for the guys, Jost and Che, they were really killing it tonight. Spitting fire. Um, jokes were landing. And... Uh, yeah, this was a high mark for Weekend Update this season. Okay. All right. I think you were warmer on it than I was. Um, I thought it was perfectly good. There's nothing that really bottomed out from Jost and Che, but I felt like it was kind of a, maybe a little bit of a later news week. Like there just wasn't any like exceptional news stories to like really get you riled up. Um, the Amazon stuff is fun and they handled it well, but I mean, that's just, it's not groundbreaking material. We've had some stuff where Che goes on a run where it's like really poignant and really smart and just really memorable. You know, the way that he's able to twist a topic to add some insight, like to really further the conversation, but also at the same time, play the disaffected jerk. So they've had some material this season that I felt really soared. Whereas this just felt like normal run of the mill weekend update. Can't say it's bad. I just can't say that it moved me as much as some of what we saw earlier in the season. Oh, well, I was moved profoundly. Okay. Yeah. So agree to disagree. <laughs> and and that's fine. I'm as we go through the episode, I'm beginning to think that, oh, you know what? I, I think maybe I I just wasn't in a good headspace or something because it seems like I'm markedly 
sour on most of tonight's material than you are. So I hope I'm being objective, but I, I don't want to say it's bad. I really don't. I don't think it was bad. I just don't think it was like the most exciting weekend update that I've seen from them this year. Okay. But they can't all be that either. So I mean, like what, you know, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but it doesn't have to be the greatest every week for it to be serviceable, for it to be good. And it was all those things. I just wouldn't call it one for the books. Take a nap, have a rewatch, <laughs> get back to me. See how you feel. Uh, yeah, probably needed. Let's take a look at our first feature. Mikey Day is Congressman-elect Denver Riggleman discussing his series of Bigfoot erotica. Thought it was great. Okay. The whole, it's a joke, bro. (laughs) That move to save face, Mm -hmm. um, but clearly being affected by your, by your writings as you read them out, you know, like I I love that, uh, (laughs) that lack of connection in his words and his behavior. Sure. It definitely made for some good comedy. Yep. I thought, and it was great to see Mikey at the desk. Yeah, I agree. This was pretty good. Uh, I thought it was a lot of fun. I thought Mikey really sold it, especially when he's reading the book very passionately and you can tell that he's just really in tune with his material. And when he's reciting the woman's lines, he has a higher pitched delivery. That's just very comedic in and of itself. Yeah. He impersonates the Bigfoot at one point, you know, again, with a lot of flair and a lot of gusto. So, uh, yeah, his willingness to just jump into the material really helped it. The graphics, you know, the sketches that were kind of in the same style as the real tweet sketch that it was all based on. Uh, all of that was very inspired. A lot of fun. I think that this was probably the highlight of weekend update for me. I I felt that this was really well done and just a, a smart way to run at such a weird little news item. <laughs> Mikey Day is showing himself as a pro once again. Yep. Yep. This was a win. Moving on. We got another feature. Keenan is back as LeVar Ball to discuss the Los Angeles Lakers slow start. Nothing beats Keenan's delivery of these lines. It's one of his more realized characters for cadence and uh, speaking patterns. The way that he delivers these lines really sells the the lies. It sells the (laughs) dishonesty behind it. Like there's no way anyone would speak this way and be completely honest and not exaggerating. Yeah. Uh, Keenan reverse engineered a really great caricature <laughs> just from that, that trait about him. Sure. Yeah. I'll, I'll see LeVar another hundred times this season if they want to show it to me. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm just cranky. Cause I watched this and I thought, you know what? Keenan's doing what he do. It's all good. His delivery's great. Material just sounds a lot like what we heard before, which is always true of big poppy and so many other recurring bits. It just, uh, felt like, you know, there wasn't anything here that was exceptional. It was a perfectly serviceable outing with LeVar ball, but, uh, I didn't need it after Mikey day kind of set the bar high for some fresh weekend update material. I just didn't want to go back to LeVar ball, but we've already established that I'm a cranky curmudgeon. So I am certainly willing to accept the notion that maybe I'm not looking at this quite fairly. Oh, well. Yeah, but not a loss. Keenan's performance is always good. It just, yeah, it just wasn't the highlight of Weekend Update for me, but that's okay. Weekend Update does not always have to be the Weekend Update. Sometimes it's just, you know, perfectly fine. And I felt like it was. Hi, guys. I want to talk for just a minute about some of the fun rewards we're offering to our listeners through Patreon. Patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash SNL podcast is where our most awesome listeners can pledge their support for the show and in turn receive a variety of patron-only rewards. You can pledge any amount you want and for as little as $4 a month, you'll get early ad-free access to each new podcast episode on Mondays immediately after we record. But that's not all we're offering. 
Our patrons can have us promote their shows, events, businesses, or products. They can get us to perform an SNL sketch on the cast, or even join us as a guest reviewer. We're offering seven reward levels from NBC Page all the way up to Lauren Michaels. So head over to patreon.com forward slash SNL podcast and check them out. It's your support that'll ensure that we can keep the cast going for future seasons. And we are so thankful to everyone who's already pitched in. Like Kalen Pope from California. Kalen, thank you so much for your support. And now, back to the show. We had a live sketch. At a slumber party, three 1950s high school juniors are visited by an unwelcome guardian angel. Okay, so I don't think I have to take too much time to explain where they got the idea for this. Everybody's seen Grease, right? (laughs) Yep. I never thought of this before, but the writer's room, obviously, were batting around these questions. You know, (laughs) what's the backstory behind this guy? Like, what does his family think about his career choice to be a guardian angel? Right. You know, the age disparity. (laughs) Yes. The inappropriate age disparity. Yes. Yes. Uh, The thought that he might have a daughter that same age and (laughs) and cross paths with her. Who he's totally content to neglect while feeling that he needs to serve as a guardian angel to other girls her age. Well, it's his job, right? Yeah. A little bit of irony there for sure. Yeah, for sure. And uh, the reveal. I think was probably the biggest laugh mm-hmm. dad and all of the backpedaling and all of his desperate attempts to kind of downplay the severity of it. <laughs> right. These are some women that I have met. <laughs> like, That's the worst possible answer you could give. Right. Yeah. I thought this was a great example of Steve Carell, just treading water and mm-hmm. milking those uncomfortable moments for all they're worth. Okay. All right. Um, it was fun. I really, really wanted to like it and I liked many, many aspects of it, but there were just a few unsatisfying things too. It felt a little clunky at moments. I'm not sure if they knew where they wanted to go or how they wanted to get out of it. Um, really enjoyed the set dressing, really enjoyed the staging of it, really enjoyed Steve's performance, really enjoyed what the girls were doing too. Like Heidi was sufficiently creeped out. Like all the girls were playing very true to how you would react in real life to something as ridiculous as this happening. and. I thought it was really fun to mash up, you know, this guy's midlife crisis with, you know, the picture that they're painting here so that, so that you can uncover the very uncomfortable origin of how this all developed, like the decisions that this guy made that got him to this point and why there's absolutely like nothing redeemable in what's going on here. All of that was a lot of fun, but I just felt like it got kind of clunky as they went through. And I just don't think that they maybe knew what they wanted to say by the end of it. Okay. That's my one critique, but I still thought that the whole, you know, setup and concept of it was a a pretty fun starting point. Yeah. But maybe it just needed something to tie it up in the end. That wasn't there. Yeah. That I can get behind. All right, let's keep moving. We get another live sketch. An oblivious husband is unaware of his wife's utter disdain for their newfound RV lifestyle. This was hilarious, mainly thanks to Heidi and the choices she made on how to kind of realize this character. Sure. You can see some of the obvious choices someone other than Heidi might've made with that mm-hmm. character, like the way to hide the tension. Uh, she had a very unique angle and, you know, you could obviously see that she was not sincere, right? You know, aside from the denial and the dishonesty of how she really feels, they're all almost felt like a, a hint of Stockholm syndrome. <laughs> sure. And, yeah, she's a she's a doting submissive wife, so she just never speaks up for herself and look at where that's gotten her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But obviously, you know, that came to a crash. Uh just get her to look you in the eye and she'll tell you how she feels, right? <laughs> yeah. But 
I just love the way they use the small space when they come in and hug and they kind of have to like shuffle around and really like drive the point home. Like maybe RV living isn't the most comfortable <laughs> sure. way, especially when you come from a double income household, you right. know, no one can blame Heidi's character for how she feels. And yeah, I think they take it from there in a, in a great, great way. Mm-hmm. This was fun. I liked it. My only critique is that at the end, when Heidi finally has her moment of honesty, I was so sympathetic and like so caught up in feeling for this woman that it was actually a little painful to like watch her have that one little moment of honesty. It almost, you know, stopped being comedy there for a minute when she's like, this is horrible and you're horrible and it's all the worst or whatever. Like, uh, it just got a little real there. So, yeah, you know, maybe that's high marks for Heidi's performance. Um, maybe it's just adventurous writing that wanted to try and push things, you know, pretty late in the show. They're like, you know what, why don't we really, you know, go for the gut punch on this? I, I don't know what they were shooting for, or if it just really was a comedic moment that ended up playing a little too seriously for me, because as we've already established, you know, I was obviously in a very dark place (laughs) when I was watching the show last night. Um, so I, uh, I, I don't know what to make of that. I just know that I was like, feeling something <laughs> and SNL isn't supposed to make you like feel that kind of stuff. Um, so I had fun with it. I liked it. I, I really thought that they found a lot of nice little ways to drive it home. You know, she doesn't get to sleep in the bed that goes to the dog. You know, she, <laughs> all of those little beats worked really well. Uh, I was just surprised how much I was affected at it by the end. Right. Yeah. And speaking of those beats, one of my favorites was when she shows how she sleeps. Yes. Because the dog is taking her bed. When she positions herself, uh-huh. she lets that linger for a bit. And yeah. the characters are continuing to talk and she just leaves her head there for a while. Yeah. Really shows how much she's just submitted and kind of accepted her fate and conceded. Yeah. Did you know a dog can punch you? <laughs> My favorite line. Yeah. I think maybe of the night. <laughs> um, so yeah, there was a lot going on in here that was a lot of fun. Just surprised that it hit me as hard as it did. But whenever a sketch can move you one way or another, uh, I got to call it a win because you know, it's certainly had me engaged. Me too. All right, moving on. A group of space explorers are joined by the clerks for Thanksgiving dinner. It's always a lot of fun when SNL does something, you know, Mm sci-fi esque. Um, no one's ever completely buying it, you know, right. (laughs) How could you, how could you, the, it's a multi-camera live show, but it's part of the fun. You know, we're, it, we almost feel like we're playing pretend with our, with our uh, SNL friends in a way. Mm-hmm. Now, this was a lot of fun. Um, we could talk a lot about the technical issues. Some things were going wrong here, obviously. <laughs> right. Sounds like they might have had some kind of ad lib ending to get around it. Yeah. But I still thought it was, it was a lot of fun. You know, there was a lot of wordplay, rhymes, very silly, childish kind of humor with this. And um, I like that once in a while. Um, I liked where they seem to be going with it. Like you said, the wordplay was kind of fun. You know, when they have their little aside, you know, their little huddle to find out how they're going to deal with this emerging situation of possibly annihilating the race of purple corn. Um, all of that back and forth was really, really good. So I enjoyed that. I enjoyed obviously the absurdity of the costuming and all of the characters were, you know, everyone was having a lot of fun right up until the moment where it fell apart. And so it's kind of hard to really grade this because, you know, if they don't get it over the finish line, how can you call it a win? Mm-hmm. So what I can say is I was amused. I would love to see what the sketch was meant to be. Uh, but yeah, I don't think we're, we're ever going to find out. We can glean a little bit of insight from how it played at dress. There was a totally different ending at dress where Steve Carell, 
gets the ray gun that we see fall, you know, at the beginning of the sketch, it falls out beside the table there. He uses that to, I guess, attack the alien. So it, it had a different ending, but what we don't really know is whether they intentionally meant to chop it and rewrite the ending for the live show. And it fell apart just because someone missed their cue or they cut back to Pete when they weren't supposed to. And the cast thought that they were out of the sketch and then had to quickly try and regroup and get back in the moment. We don't know exactly why it fell apart or what the intended ending was, but for what it's worth, it did play very different. It had a very different ending and dress where there was no notion of them just getting on board with the idea of let's just eat the corn and be done with the whole silly affair. Um, apparently there was like a whole different aspect to this that they didn't really even explore in the live version. I see. Yeah. Now they probably would have cut that line of Steve Carell saying, don't worry, I have a plan because he says that. And then they carry out exactly no plans. (laughs) Yes. They go back to Pete one more time. That's when we see the, the black background, it's all screwed up now. Right, right. Then Keenan's whispering to them, just eat the corn, eat the corn, eat the corn. <laughs> and then instead of carrying out their plan, they just eat the curtain that they just said they're going to save. So I don't think there was a rewrite. I think there was just some kind of, let's keep busy until the cameras turn off. <laughs> oh, no, no. I, I, think, I think the rewrite was the idea that they're going to have the huddle. And instead of rallying and championing for the corn, he just says, yeah, okay, let's just eat, right? Like we're just totally going to dismiss the notion that (laughs) we're annihilating this race of corn. Um, So that was going to be the new joke of you think that he's about to announce that they have a big plan. They're going to go on the attack, but no, they're just going to have dinner and call it a day. But I don't think Steve sold that line. And I think the reason why he couldn't sell the line was because they did that cut to Pete that threw everybody off. So now he's not sure. Okay, wait a minute. Are we still doing that ending? Is it my time to actually deliver that line? And everybody's scrambling to try and get back into, you know, the sketch. And I just don't think anyone really knew how to reapproach it after they cut away from them at that critical moment when Steve was supposed to deliver that line. Right. Yeah. So yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely a fumbly exit, but for what it's worth, at least everyone tried their best to hold it together and have some fun with it. And, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's just eat some corn. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it definitely, uh, fun to watch. Cause sometimes, yeah, these things, they just, they just fall right apart on you. Um, yeah. What can you say? It was a mess. Well, you know, it happens. Yep. Yep. Let's take a look at our 10 to one pre-tape GP. Yes. Credit to listener Lila2398, who pointed out that the two drag queens that are featured in the sketch are Peppermint and Jiggly Saliente, who were both on RuPaul's Drag Race. So yeah, I guess they pulled in some authentic personalities to try and elevate the sketch. Do you think they got anywhere fun with it? Well, it's a, it's a funny idea. Okay. Because the whole subculture of drag is known to be very flamboyant, very colorful, very loud. And all of those things just don't mix with serious business, like finding directions, getting to where you got to go. When you have to pay attention to a map, you can't have, you know, three dudes and speedos just twerking (laughs) in your face, right? There's, There's stuff to be done. Right. And just that loud, that very aggressive aesthetic and, the whole culture of drag just it's a hilarious uh, contrast. Yeah. Uh, this was a fun idea because you've got the milk toast passengers 
And you've got the, the truism of GPSs do come preloaded with different personalities. You have the male voice, you have the female voice, you may have different language sets. Right. You know, so there is something funny about the idea that this GPS would be loaded up with a flamboyant drag personality that can give you directions and just how that leaps out of the GPS to completely color your world <laughs> in all this insanity. Um, that's a fun notion. My problem with this was it seems like they just edited it all to hell. It seemed like they probably gathered a lot of footage, especially, you know, like Cecily's grand entrance and the, the dancing on the stairs and like all of the, the super like in the flamboyant world part of it. It seemed like they gathered a lot of stuff for that, but I think they just couldn't find their footing in the edit because all of that didn't really like say anything or do anything with the sketch at the end. There was just like this little pastiche of, okay, here's crazy world. And now we're out of the sketch and there just really wasn't any kind of message or button or anything that, uh, I felt made any of that make sense or just flow. So I wonder if between dress and live, they said, okay, you've got a three minute piece here, carve a minute out of the middle. And that's the best they could do with the two hours they had. Cause it, it just really felt like there was something missing in the narrative of the sketch. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I guess that's our rundown. Let's take a look at the moment of the night. You happen to bring it up already. Uh, did you know dogs can punch you? <laughs> I just loved it because it was said as in just, you know, a, a interesting little fact. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it, it, it's a gateway, a, a window, a very small window into how she really feels about the whole thing. And there's so much punch and so much in that line. Mm-hmm. A lot of power and a lot of humor. And Heidi especially sold it very well. Yep. Yep. I agree. It's a great moment of the night. Yes, it was. My moment is from the same sketch. I'm going with that moment at the end that I already kind of explained, just sort of hit me like a ton of bricks. And I was surprised how much I was actually feeling for the character when she finally makes eye contact and just dirges, (laughs) you know, all of this stuff that the husband is not prepared to hear. Um, Yeah, that was uh, surprisingly powerful. I don't know if it was comedy for me. But it was definitely something where I was going, huh? So I, I got to give it to that because that was the one moment tonight that really, really had me glued to the set. Yeah, there was uh, some good pickings for moments from that one sketch. Absolutely. Okay, so let's talk best sketch. My best sketch, I think, is that Turkey Day song performance dinner thing. <laughs> okay. Uh, whatever you call it. I thought it was just a great mix of weird and <laughs> awkward and tense and cringy and i really loved the partnering of steve and cecily in this they worked well together <laughs> yes, they did. she was the love of my life <laughs> yeah yeah just so many things that i thought worked with this and it sticks out as an obvious choice for me personally yep it was a head scratcher i liked it too i thought it was a lot of fun i am going with the transmission from the international space station great i think that that sketch was just genuinely funny right what's not to love about dead animals floating around to these poor students dismay on live television. Nothing to not love. Yeah. yeah, That was all great. The performances in it were all great. This was some of the best stuff that Steve could bring to the screen because it, it really played into his wheelhouse. Um, Mikey day was on point with his floating. Even Leslie Jones, we said was used to really good effect and it was executed very well with all the moving pieces that you need between the claw, between Kate floating in the background, between the floating cats. You know, we saw another space sketch at the end of the night that didn't come together quite as well. So it shows you how production snafus can sometimes really kill a sketch. But in this case, 
everyone was really on point and they pulled it off masterfully. So not only was it funny, but it was just well done. You picked my runner up, so I'm happy. Yeah, I think it's pretty easy to peg the couple sketches this episode that were really well-rounded end to end. I think I think we got our bases covered. So let's talk MVP. I think I'm going to go with Heidi. Okay. Yeah. And uh, most of that is attributed to her performance in the RV sketch. Mm-hmm. I just found that character so well-realized and the desperation was just... It was right on that line of discomfort and actual enjoyable humor. Sure. You know, it was a very sincere performance and it was very uh, well-crafted and thought out, but it was getting laughs. Mm -hmm. And that, along with everything else she did for the night, I think that puts her up there. Sure. You know what I wanted to say about her performance in that sketch that I forgot to touch on when we were covering it? When I was watching that sketch, I was thinking, you know what? If this had been a Kristen Wiig era sketch, we'd have a close up of Kristen Wiig holding a glass and it's like shaking and the ice cubes are coming out of it. And like she breaks it with her hand or something like that's kind of the overtop hilarious way that they would try to show someone like with bottled up emotions, Mm -hmm. you know, like just give her a wild eyed stare and just like, you know, frothing with anxiety or something like that would be the way that some very animated players might've approached that kind of material. They just go really big with it. And somebody had the inspired idea to go really, really small with this. And it worked so very, very well. So that's probably a credit to the writers and, you know, like, you know, the writers collaborating with the players, like there was probably a lot of really talented people making that performance come together the way it did. But somewhere along the line, they just really found the right way for Heidi to run at that, that capitalized on her strengths as a performer that can sell those things without having to go super big. Um, and just really feed her the lines and the moments that she needed to make it shine. So it was a great moment for her. I just really wanted to highlight that there's a much more obvious way to tackle that kind of material that wouldn't have been half as good as what we saw. Yeah. Okay. No, so, great point. <laughs> there's my uh, long-winded added analysis to your MVP. For mo- yeah, it's not even your MVP. <laughs> who are you picking? <laughs> for my MVP, I'm going with Mikey Day, and I will fight anyone who says that he was not the MVP tonight. He was in that sketch that we enjoyed, the RV sketch, but he had, in my opinion, the standout moment on Weekend Update with the Congressman's Bigfoot erotica series. Uh, he also was featured in the space sketch with the Frozen animals that I thought was fantastic and pretty sure him and Streeter wrote that too. So as always with Mikey, what you see on the screen isn't necessarily the full story of what he's doing that week. So I feel like, you know, he put in a really solid showing across the board and had a lot of the standout moments that I really connected with. So I think it's his night. Okay. I guess we're fighting, but that's fine. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. I'll I'll give you a pass. Like if, if there's going to be someone else I could get on board with, it would probably would have been Heidi too. So I, I can't fault you for that, but I really think Mikey was kind of head and shoulders the the star of the show. All right. I'll I'll let you have that. <laughs> Opinions may vary. On a scale of classic, great, decent, weak, or train wreck, how would you rate this episode? I think I might have to go for a week. Okay. With this one, I felt we had a mostly decent show, but with some clunkers in there that brought it down a notch. Yes. Yeah, it had its moments. So I can never go full on train wreck when I have to step back and say, well, no, no, wait a minute. I did have some fun with this bit over here, that bit over there, but I agree with you overall, this is weak. 
didn't have a really inspired cold open, didn't have a really inspired monologue. The live material was hit or miss. There was a couple good ones as always, but certainly not what you would call even or solid. And then the pre-tapes, even the rap music video didn't really kind of get to the same place that we've seen so many others get this season. So week is where I'm landing too. Okay. Yeah. I figured you'd be there with me. All right. Let's put this one to bed. I don't want to talk about it anymore. Yeah. Let's call it. Okay. That's cast. Thanks as always to Steve Finn and thanks as well to our most generous patrons, Sam Bowers, Aaron and Trader, Jonathan Jordan, and Kalen Pope. If you're enjoying our podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Our patrons get early ad-free access to each new podcast episode, as well as many other exclusive member rewards. You can learn more about all the ways you can support the cast at snlafterparty.fm. We'll be back in one week with Mike Bloom and Mario Lanza's review of SNL's November run. Until then, this has been episode number 61 of the Saturday Night Live After Party Podcast. I'm John Murray. Good night and have a pleasant tomorrow. My thanks to LMA, Ellie Kemper, Ed Helms, Jenna Fisher, and my family. Thank you, everyone, for coming tonight. It was a delight. And I... It, it doesn't really sound like you're joking, but whatever. Yeah, all right, listen to this. Uh, oh, the squatch yeah. rolled off of Stephanie, exhausted. She could tell. He was embarrassed that he had not satisfied her. No. No shame. She whispered. I teach you. Oh, Che, this is amazing. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, uh, oh, come on. I'm sorry. The squatch grunted back. Hold on. You invented a whole Sasquatch language? As a joke. Now, shh, be quiet. Here it comes, man. All right. The passion was so loud. Neither could hear the faint helicopter blades bleeding over the tree line. Jake Blakely had picked up their trail. Ooh. I hate Jake Blakely. Yeah. You read this? As a joke? Yeah, thank you. Then the Riggleman, everybody. Thank you. As a joke. As a joke, man. As a joke. Yeah,